Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Good morning, Harvest, and um, it's good to be back with you guys uh, on this Sunday morning. Um, We are continuing our Church at Home series, and and this week it's on the word uh, transgression. And, you know, probably for many of you, uh, and myself included, we don't use the word transgression at all in our common day conversations or things like that. But it's, it's really good that the video did a good job of just explaining this word transgression and, and what the meaning behind it is. Um, but just to keep things simple, I'd like to just define transgression, at least for the intents of, of my, what I'm going to share with you this morning, as just a breaking of trust. Transgression really is just simply a breaking of trust. So um, rather than kind of giving a broad overview of this word transgression throughout the Bible, I think, you know, again, the Bible Project video kind of did a good job with that. I'd like to instead share with you just two things, just really broadly two things. Uh, the first thing is more about like how transgression is really just a lot more prevalent in our lives than we actually think. Um, Transgression, not just between us and God, but even between us and others. And I like wanted to explore that first with you guys, just to give just a sense of what transgression really is and how it affects us even today. And then the second is, what do we do about that as Christians, as Christ followers? Uh, because if transgression is really prevalent, um, do we just simply just accept it as it is? Or is there something that God is calling us to do in the midst of all this transgression that is around us and even in us. So those are just the, the broad overview of these two big areas that I'm going to cover with you this morning. Uh, but as I was reflecting on transgression this week, I was just realizing that, wow, there's just a, a lot of ways that, you know, that it does affect us, um, you know, and affects our, even our larger society today. Um, you know, I just, I think that there are many examples of how trust is breaking down here in the U.S. and in the Western culture, but uh, rather than kind of giving examples, I'd like to instead share with you a story, a story from the Bible uh, that really kind of, I think, really brings out just how trust can be broken down and um, really juxtaposing that with even today. So uh, this story actually is from 1 Samuel chapter 25, and uh, it's, it's a pretty long story, so I'm just going to summarize it for us. But what I'd like for us to do is as I share the story, as I share the summary of the story, um, just keep in the back of your minds how this would actually play out in the modern day. Because I think thinking about that and listening to the story will really give a good understanding or just even how transgression is, you know, happens even today. So again, this story is from 1 Samuel chapter 25. If you'd like to turn there, um, feel welcome and you can follow along. But I'll just really give you guys a summary uh, of it. So really the story begins with David. And uh, David right now in, in his life is on the run from King Saul. Uh, just a little bit of backstory to this. David, you know, like we all know the story of David and Goliath, and that's how kind of, you know, if you will, he made his name among all the Israelites, and he took down Goliath for the glory of God. And this is at the point where King Saul really noticed David uh, and really brought him in into his kind of entourage, into his court, and made David a, a, a trusted member of his court. Uh, but David's fame kept growing, and King Saul got 
pretty jealous and eventually got really paranoid thinking that David would eventually try to unsurp him and take over his throne. So his heart really got uh, just turned against David and, and really was trying to actually eventually kill him. And so David escaped and now he's on the run uh, from King Saul. So that's kind of all the backstory there. So in this, David is like moving from place to place. And right here in chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, he's in this place called the Wilderness of Paran. And in this wilderness, he's able to kind of hide out and do a lot of different things. Uh, but near this wilderness is a city called Carmel. And in this city of Carmel, there's this guy, he's a really rich businessman, uh, works in livestock. His name is Nabal. And so uh, what David does is he sends men, some of his men to Nabal because in the wilderness of Paran, he's been kind of being a good neighbor and, and watching out for different people. And some of the people that he was watching out for was some of the shepherds of Nabal, some of his livestock workers, if you will. And so then David sends his men to Nabal and says, hey, you know, I've been watching out for your shepherds. They, you know, weren't lacking in anything. I was watching out for protecting them. And remember at this time, there's, there's no police. There's no law enforcement. So uh, really, David's men really trying to protect them is, is actually a big thing. So David goes there and says, hey, Nabal, you know, I've been protecting your men. Is there something that you could give me in compensation? Anything is fine, right? But when Nabal hears this from David's men, he then says, well, who is this David? You know, you know, who is this guy that's come to me and is asking for stuff? And, you know, and Nabal also has heard about David, you know, through the grapevine. And it's like, well, many people are rebelling against their masters today. And so Nabal just kind of dismisses David's men and says, you know, get out of here. I, you know, I'm not going to give you any, anything uh, for, for what you guys did. And so then David hears about this from men and gets furious. And he's like, all right, guys, gets all his men together, gear up. We're going to show Nabal who he's messing with, right? And so they go down and they're going to wreck Nabal and his household. But then Abigail, Nabal's wife, and Abigail is this, and uh, the, they talk about this in the story, she's beautiful and discerning, the opposite of Nabal, hears about what's going to happen. And so then, and then she also talks to the shepherds, the workers of Nabal, and says, okay, David actually did do what he said he did. And she goes and intercepts David and his men and really asks David for forgiveness for her husband, who she even honestly says that, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's a jerk, he's rude, he's, um, he's not a good guy. And let me read what she says here in 1 Samuel chapter 25, verses 28. And this is from the ESV version. It says, Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. And I highlighted the word here of, on trespass because really that's the same word as transgression. Uh, just really translated, but it's the same Hebrew word for a breaking of trust. So here Abigail is asking David to forgive her and her husband and her household of breaking trust with David. And just remember at this time, you know, in this kind of back then in, in the Middle Eastern culture, um, really this hospitality that David showed to Nabal's shepherds was, was a big deal. I mean, he was being a true neighbor, and he was really just, there was a, a certain amount of trust that, that was there. And Nabal just kind of threw it back in David's face and, you know, and, and dismissed David. 
but you know, all ends ends well because right uh, because of Abigail, David says yes. You know, because you came and because of your discerning, you know, character and things, he will forgive Nabal, and so David doesn't go and just destroy Nabal and his house and his men. But I think what's interesting is if you think about this story in a modern context, I think you know if we were you know uh, in this story, I think we would probably see it a little differently. Right, and so let me let me actually share this from more of a modern kind of American perspective, if you will. So, if you heard like, if, okay, if if we're in the story and a person comes up to us, and let's say this person is a fugitive on the run from law, again, of course, David was a fugitive, right? King Saul was the law of the land, and he was running away, even though King Saul was definitely corrupt, but David was running away. He was a fugitive. If a fugitive came up to you. And said, "Hey, you know, I saw that you parked your car in this bad neighborhood that I'm hiding out in. You know, would you know, I I guarded your car for a couple hours. You know, would you give me something in compensation for me guarding your car? Like, what would what would we say to that? You know, and I think what's interesting is, you know, let, let's say like maybe not. I won't leave it so open, but let's say like this guy he asks just for a meal, right? He's a fugitive, comes up to you, and, and sometimes you can see those." Those uh, on the billboard signs, like names or like people that said, okay, this guy's on the run from the law. Like, and so you, you might know that this guy is maybe, at least the law says he's bad news, right? And he asked for a meal because he guarded your car. What would we say to him? How many, uh, you know, here would actually give him a meal, right? And, and if you want to, you could even put that in the comments on, on, the, on the YouTube channel. Uh, but, but I think it's an interesting question. Because if you think about it, I mean, you know, especially because he's a fugitive, right? I think many of us probably wouldn't. I, I, I don't think I would. I would be, like, scared that this guy's going to do something to me. And I also wouldn't trust that he actually guarded my car. I thought he was just making that up. I think what's even more interesting, though, is if this, say, it's, instead of a fugitive, let's say it's just a stranger, right? I think there is no sense of hospitality in our culture today. And I think it really does show that, Trust really isn't happening between strangers or even between neighbors. Like I definitely wouldn't probably give him a meal, even like especially since he came up to you kind of out of the asking for a meal because he guarded my car. And I think that really says something about our society today, right? Like I, I feel that there's really no trust between neighbors. There's really no trust between us and politics and politicians. Right, I mean, we know that in many ways they aren't really always looking out for those they represent. I mean, and there's no trust between corporations and workers. For many of us that work for companies and things like that, uh, we know that many times they're only looking uh, for their bottom line. You know, and I think we really live in this world of broken trust. And even as I was thinking about this, even in an everyday example, um, you know, me and Faye, we have this great opportunity of fostering a dog. His name is Cody. He's a uh, a one-year-old puppy that um, a family uh, at Harvest let us foster for a while. And uh, what's real interesting is because, you know, it's just me and Faye and Cody, sometimes Cody gets bored and so we wanted to socialize him, so we found a doggy daycare for him. And uh, this, you know, this doggy daycare, we found it nearby our place, and so we send him to there so he can play with other dogs. But one thing I really kind of noticed was that after he came back uh, from doggy daycare, and many times he was like extremely hungry and he always had to use the bathroom like right after. 
And so I was wondering, like, are they really taking care of Cody? Are they really doing, like, we even give them food for his lunch. But why does he always come back hungry and always having to go to the bathroom? And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, do I really trust this doggy daycare business? You know, are they really doing what they're saying they're doing? And, you know, maybe it's just the paranoid self of me because in a lot of ways he's running around all day with other dogs. And so he could be just extremely hungry uh, because of that. And that's why he also has to go to the bathroom so quickly. But it's just interesting that even in this everyday example of just a business down the street, like I question, are they really being truthful? Can I really trust them in this? And so I think really we live in a society today that um, it's really hard, difficult to really trust anybody because really most people aren't, you know, whether or not they've proven that they aren't trustworthy or is this everyone doesn't trust anybody else in these days. And so I really wanted to share that because I think that's, you know, at least from my perspective and my experience, I feel like where do we go from there? If we live in this society, in this country where trust is already broken, what are we supposed to do? Are we just supposed to live and accept it and deal and, and just live in the state of mistrust? Or is God maybe calling us to something else? What are we even supposed to, how do we follow Jesus in this kind of world? And so, you know, I would submit that actually God uh, does call us to do something, to call us to a different lifestyle than this kind of perpetual state of mistrust. And I believe that he is showing us this in a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 19. Um, and so let's turn to there. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. And I'm going to spend the rest of my time in, this, in these verses in this passage. But let me, let me read that for us. Again, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19 in the ESV. And it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And I really believe that these verses are really showing us this kind of path to living a life of restored trust. Um, first between us and God, and then between us and others. And again, I, I think what's really important is that in this world of mistrust, I think this passage really shows us really clearly uh, different steps that God has done in our lives to help us then to again, be able to trust and uh, to trust in this world of mistrust. And so really, I'd like to unpack really the really two steps that God has taken to help us restore trust again, uh, both between our relationship with him. And then finally, really just end with just a thought about, well, what, what do we do from there? And I think this passage shows us that it's not just about our relationship with God, but also our relationship with others. So the first step is really that God has remade us as a new creation. God has remade us as a new creation. This is the first step toward the path of restored trust. And we see that in verse 17. And let me read that for us again. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And really what Paul here is saying is if we're a Christian, right, we are a new creation. If we really have given our lives over to Jesus and live in allegiance under him and are striving to follow him, that God has made us a new creation. And really, if you've been a Christian for a while or if you've been at Harvest for a while, you probably have heard this before, right? This kind of concept of us being new creations. And the Bible also makes reference to this in multiple places, like in the book of Elijah, talking about a heart of stone making it into a heart of flesh. Or even Jesus talks about being born again in the Gospel of John. But, you know, I, I really felt convicted that in, in a lot of ways, even though we kind of might know these kind of things, or at least intellectually, uh, you know, accept them, I think there is an aspect of Christian life that we sometimes don't really internalize what it means to be a new creation. For example, I think a lot of us, you know, at some point in our lives have accepted Jesus in our life. We made a decision to accept Jesus in our life as a decision point. But but really, being Christian is much more than just accepting Jesus in our life. When we become Christian, right, God places in us a whole new set of desires, uh, a whole new set of ways of thinking, right? He helps us see the world in a different way. It's uh, It's really not just a decision that we make in this one point, whether it was in college or earlier in life in high school, but I really believe it's this journey that he set us on that we then can really learn what it means to be this new creation. We, we experience what it means to have these new thoughts and new desires, right? God is remaking us into a person that is more like him, but still true to who we are, who he's created us. And I think this is really the first step in this journey of, of this restored trust. Because really, if we live in this world of broken trust, you can't just take all this broken trust and somehow, you know, trust again. I think it really does require us to be remade so that we could actually trust again. You know, there's so many different human solutions out there for these problems of, of what our country and our society are facing but that they really don't solve this fundamental problem that the world is, is really messed up. Um, at its core, there's, this, this, there's so much sin that touches everything. Individuals, cultures, societies, even nature itself is corrupted by sin. And really, our only hope is that God is making all things new. And, and you know, this is important because I think the word order here is important. That God is making all things new. All things new. He's not making new all things because if he did that, then he would just be wiping out everybody and starting over new. I mean, this is what he did with the flood, right? And except he, you know, saved Noah and his family. But really, God promised never to do that again. So what God is doing now is he's making all of us, all things, new, a new creation. And I think sometimes it's hard to wrap your mind around, right? So I think really what could help with this is, as I was thinking about this, is really this idea behind even restoring old cars. And so here is an image of uh, just a car being restored. It, it's, it's really good. It has like, you know, this compare and contrast right next to each other. And uh, I'm not much into cars, but I just really love seeing these things where, you know, the car on the left, you can see it has no headlights, is rusted, maybe not even drivable. But the car on the right, right, it looks almost completely brand new. I think 
this picture really is a glimpse of what God is really doing in us, is that he's not necessarily making us into this wholly different person, right? Like in that picture with the cars, like that car is not a wholly different car than it's not like it somehow turns into a Corvette or something like that, but that he's taking us as rusted, broken down people affected by sin, and he's making us new, brand new, into who he meant for us to be uh, outside of sin. And I think that is a great picture of what it means to be this new creation, that God's remaking us into this new creation so that we could trust again. So that's the first step. The second step really is this, toward this path of restored trust, is being reconciled through Christ, being reconciled through Christ. You know, Paul starts with this thought of a new creation, but he says in verse, the beginning of verse 18, he says this, he says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, right? And all this he's referring to is this, the old has passed away, the new has come, this new creation. And it's really God, through Christ, has reconciled us to God through Christ, and so, you know, I think a lot of us, right, have you know, either whether through Sunday school or things like that, it's usually Jesus is always the answer to every Bible study question. And I think that's sort of a cliche that we hear often. Um, but really, I'd like to take us for a moment to just think about this. Like, why did Paul decide to describe this restored trust, this, this thing with the word reconciliation? Why did he use that word? or reconciled to describe our salvation. You know, he could have used other words like, you know, uh, a new life or how, you know, Jesus took away our sins, but he used that word reconciled. Why? To help answer that question, I think I'd first like to just say define reconciliation as a repair of a relationship, the repair of a relationship. And if Paul is describing that through Christ. God is repairing our relationship, then what is what needs to be repaired? And we can see that in verse 19. And so let me read that for us. It says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So again, we see this word trespass, right? And again, this, this, this word trespasses is really the same as transgression, the same meaning of breaking trust. And what Paul is saying is because we have broken trust with God, that God requires Jesus to restore that trust. And I think it's important that there's this relational nature that we see in our relationship with God. Because in in a lot of ways, I think we can easily slip into, and I I do this all the time myself, that we see our relationship with God more transactionally than relationally. And really what I mean by transaction is this, is that sometimes we think that certain sets of behaviors or actions really define how we're doing in our relationship with God. You know, if, you know, case in point, if I was to really ask you guys, like I meet some of you guys over Zoom or phone calls or just even in person, if I was to sit down with you right now and ask you, how are you doing in your relationship with God? What would be your first thought? What would be your first thought about how you're doing in your relationship with God? And I bet for most of us, what's so interesting is that we would say, well, you know, Maybe I'm, I'm not reading as much as I should or spending as much time with God or praying as much or doing different church, ser- serving the church in different ways. And in my conversation with you, I feel like that's always how the conversation turns. 
when we talk about our relationship with God. And you see how sometimes we can so easily slip into this thought of like, my relationship with God is defined by these certain set of behaviors, these tasks. And I'm not saying those behaviors or tasks are necessarily wrong, but that's how we frame our relationship with God. You know, and, and it, it's, it, our relationship with God is so much more than just behavior. You know, and Pastor Dave kind of mentioned this in his sermon on sin uh, two weeks back. He says, well, how much do we actually trust God? Because if God is a rule giver, how much do we trust the rules that God has given us? Right? Because really, ultimately, sin is, before we even do the act of sin, even before we do the behavior, what we're saying is we actually don't trust the rule giver. And that's why we break his commands, because we don't think his commands are really worth following. And so really, one of the fundamental aspects of our faith is, is trust. Do we trust God? And I think this is why the snake in Genesis 3 you know, tempted Eve this way, right? both Adam and Eve, but really Eve just really saying that, asking her, you know, did God really say, or that this fruit really won't kill you, the fruit, eating of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. But I think that's what's so amazing of what what Paul says in verses 18 and 19, that we aren't the ones to repair the relationship, that God is the one to repair the relationship, and this is through Christ, right? It is only through Christ that we have any hope of a restored trusting relationship between us and God. You know, and it's really not how much we're reading our Bibles or how much we're praying or how much we're serving the church or even how consistent or inconsistent our trust is with God. But our hope really is rooted in Christ, that he himself was the one that truly trusted God through it all, through all the ups and downs, through all the sacrifices and the suffering that he went through, that he is the one that we can place our trust in because he is the true human that was able to trust God all the way to the end. You know, and this doesn't give me a free pass or any of us a free pass. It's just if we say we really hope in Jesus, then we can do whatever we want. But what this really does say is that if our hope is rooted in Jesus more than in our tasks about our relationship with God, then we would strive to follow him through anything, through all the ups and downs. Because it's really not about how we ourselves are trying to do, but really about this hope that Really, we cling on to Jesus, who is our true hope, because he is the one that was able to do what we can't. You know, this actually reminds me of this really old movie called The Shawshank Redemption. And um, yeah, you know, I was really hesitant to really share this because I feel like it's so overdone sometimes in a lot of sermons. I think I've heard this illustration multiple times, maybe back in the day when it first came out. Uh, so for those of you that are younger, uh, definitely watch the movie. It's, it's still a great movie. But really, uh, this movie is about a man who is wrongly accused uh, of killing his wife and is sent to prison for like 30 years or something like that, a long time. And, uh, and through this whole time, he's able to continue to hope that he is going to get out one day and he's going to be free. And everyone else in prison is saying that he's crazy, he doesn't know what he's doing and everything like that. But throughout the movie, you can see, even through the most difficult times, even when he's beat up, even when unspeakable things are done to him, even though even when he has to crawl through this pipe of of a sewage, you know, he is still clinging on to this hope of that he would be free, that he is wrongly accused. And I think that same picture is so true of the Christian life, that we can be like him, that we can cling on to this hope, no matter what we're going through, 
this hope that Jesus really is the one that paved the way for us and that he is the one that restored us and the trust and that we are reconciled with God because of what Jesus has done. As many of you heard this week, uh, especially if you're following the news, there was a shooting in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, there were eight people killed, um, and the gunman responsible for these killings actually is held in custody. The really sad thing is that he, you know, he specifically targeted spas, and of those killed, six out of the eight were women of Asian descent. And, uh, you know, my heart goes out to those families that were affected. But the reason I really uh, share this is because uh, just there really is another reminder of how dark that this world truly is. And that, you know, no matter how things are, it seems like we can just always chalk up to just how messed up things are. And, uh, you know, I think really in light of this, that's why it's so critical to just really be reminded that our hope truly is in Jesus. Because really our hope is not necessarily in better laws or better systems, although those could help the situation. But even throughout human history, humans have always killed other humans, and that no law and no system could ever truly prevent that. But really, if our hope is placed in Jesus, that Jesus as king will one day bring about a new kingdom, and this new kingdom, there will be no sin, and there will be no death, and there will be never news lines like this of shootings where eight people are killed. You know, and, and this is where it's so critical to place our hope in Jesus. Again, it, it's, it's really because of this future hope that we can continue on in the midst of a world where there is broken trust, where even random strangers sometimes can feel dangerous because we just don't know what can happen. But if our hope is in Jesus, we can continue forward, trusting not in people, but in God, and that God can not only change us, but those around us. And so I'd like to end with this thought. You know, I think one of the reasons why sometimes our faith or our Christianity can sometimes seem irrelevant is because it always kind of points to this future hope. I mean, I just kind of shared about that future hope in Christ as Jesus as King, uh, and that one day he will bring this new kingdom. But I think it would be a mistake to think that our faith, that this faith that we follow, this Christianity, is only about the distant future. It's also about what we can do in the present. You know, Paul talks about this at the end of verse 18 and at the end of verse 19. And so let me read those verses for us again. Here, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled to the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You see, God didn't just reconcile us through Christ just for ourselves and maybe for our just not, and not for just us having a better life. But he reconciled us so that we would go out and share this message with others, that he gave us this message of reconciliation, this message of renewed trust. Right? And our faith just isn't really just about ourselves. It's about, again, God changing us so that we can change others. 
And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of benefits of believing in, in Jesus, believing in God, that, that there are changes in our lives that we can live more healthy lives. But we are missing out if we think that all that God is doing in our lives is to make sure that our families, our individual lives are better. That there is this great adventure that God has given us to go out and share this message with others. And, and especially during these times, especially in light of another shooting, especially in light of all the darkness and division that is in these days, what better message is there to give than this message of reconciliation? That there is really true hope for all of us who have experienced broken trust, not only in our personal lives, but in the lives of others. That in God, through Christ, that there truly is hope for a renewed trust between us and God and between us and others. So I'd like to challenge us today to see beyond ourselves and to be able to see that it is through this renewed trust of reconciliation that we were created as a new creation, that God remade us as a new creation, and that this reconciliation that is through Christ really is about this renewed trust, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that um, as we reflect on your message uh, this morning, that you would really help us to um, just truly be able to encounter you. Father, we ask that um, many of us, uh, Lord, have experienced the suffering and the heartbreak of broken trust in our lives between those uh, closest to us even. And so, Father, I pray that first and foremost that you would remind us again that you are remaking us into this new creation, that there is true hope in this renewed creation that you are starting in us and in, in your world. And Father, I also pray that, uh, that you would help us even reflect on just even that it is really through Christ that, that this reconciliation happens, and that you would, again, help us to hope in you and not see the darkness that is around us, preventing us from seeing you. So Father, may you do this work in us, and we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. A great reminder of God's work in us, and so let me close us in a benediction. Uh, may God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit continue to help us go forth in this ministry of reconciliation. May he continue the work in us so that we may be able to share this message with others and may other people experience this true renewed trust in God in their own lives. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.